Before we get started today, here's what's new at Cold Wax Academy. Fall quarter is now underway with sessions on texture, materiality, and process, finding time for your work, a return visit with Gamblin representative Mary Tevlin, a painting clinic for works in progress, and the quarterly member critique. As always, members are encouraged to take part in the online sessions, where lively discussions take place as Rebecca and Jerry respond in real time. But if you can't make it to the live sessions, remember that Cold Wax Academy members have unlimited streaming access to over 100 previously recorded sessions. And now you can navigate the extensive range of topics with an index to easily find what you need. By the way, you don't have to use Cold Wax Medium to benefit from the content in these recordings. Artists who use other painting media will also find a wealth of valuable information, including effective use of the visual elements and composition, personal voice and intentions, mentoring topics like procrastination and work-life balance, and much, much more. For more info and to join Cold Wax Academy, please visit coldwaxacademy.com. That's coldwaxacademy.com. That's all for now. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about studio tour tips. Being part of a studio tour is a unique opportunity to show your work in the one place where you feel most at home with your work and where you have total control over what to show and how it will be displayed. It's a time when you can meet people who are excited about what you do and, of course, make direct sales and helpful connections, especially when your open studio is part of an organized and publicized regional event, you can expect a steady flow of visitors, and the sales that result can be significant. What do you need to do to prepare for being part of a studio tour or open studio event? How can you maximize sales and connections and keep your energy during all the preparations and planning? Today, we'll talk about some tips and considerations and ideas for making things run smoothly. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So although the the studio tour season that ramps up in the, in the summer and the fall is kind of winding down, but um, I thought it would be a good time to do this because uh, there are also often um, holiday open events in the coming months. So and hopefully this information will be useful anytime um, when you hear this. And we're also going to post, um, this is basically a list of things. And I think we're going to post that with the notes for the uh, podcast so you can refer back to it um, if and when your time comes along. Um, and I'm just now uh, coming off another really successful uh, studio tour weekend here in Dixon. It was last weekend. And so this is all in my mind. And this is the um, the third time I've done this here in Dixon. And um, I, you know, I can see that I get a little better every year with with kind of organizing and dealing with all the details of it, and and also start to think about things in different ways and see what works, what doesn't work, and and so on. I wouldn't say I'm as experienced as a lot of people are at this point. I mean, I know friends that have done these things for years, but um, I'm, you know, happy to share what I know and, and some ideas and 
and issues. Um, and also, uh, about two years ago, episode 196, we did an episode that was also on this topic, and I think that was after my first studio tour here in Dixon. So you might want to re-listen to that one, too, if you're interested. And uh, this one, I think, will include more really practical information. And I'm going to just kind of go through it with, with comments and things. Um, it is a long list, and there's just a lot that's involved in these um, these events. And I would say, before I get into that, the best advice I can say is to pace yourself because there is a lot to do and it's a lot of different things <laughs> and it, you can feel really scattered about it. And I started probably six weeks ahead just thinking about it and making a big list of everything and and then just doing bits of it um, a little bit at a time until it, it ramped up when I got closer to the time, of course, but just doing bits and pieces when I had, you know, a free moment in the studio was, was really helpful. And it kept my mind on, focused on it as well, so that the mind could churn along and generate things um, as I was working. And um, it just it just came together well, because I think I was really starting it quite a bit ahead of time. So if you can, I, I think that's a really good idea, especially if you if you are busy with other things and um, make make your big list and then just tackle bits of it as as you find time to do it. Um, and that you know that's true with so many projects, but I I just think this one is um, it's it's like you're heading towards a specific date. You have things you have to do, and um, you can do them a bit at a time. So. Um, I'm just going to go through what kind of my list here. And I would say making a list for yourself or using this one as a guide is a really good idea. As complete as you can, you know, no, no detail is too small <laughs> to, to make a note of. And then keep that in your computer. And, um, and then when you go, when you're ready for next year, there it is. And you can update it with anything that you, you learned or you noticed um, with your experience. So I'm just going to start with what you might uh, start doing or thinking about four to six weeks ahead. And the first thing on the list here is um, to compose a newsletter. And hopefully, if you've done this before, you, you have a mailing list or you have a mailing list because you have one on your website or something. But but having a guest book out every year is is a really good way to collect um email addresses of people that you can send the newsletter to. And this this can be something you do with MailChimp or um, other of those types of programs. It doesn't have to be elaborate, but it's kind of a, a save the date, a heads up. This tour is happening um, this weekend uh, in November, uh, speaking from the Dixon Studio Tour perspective. I I started working on this newsletter, just little bits and pieces, entering email addresses, kind of thinking about what I wanted to say uh, during that month ahead or six weeks ahead. And then I sent it about three weeks ahead. And so it, it lets people know that this is happening. And um, if you're not organized to do that, I think it's really a good good way to start building um, the audience of people that are going to come to your, to your studio. Um, also... I ordered business cards because I realized that my old ones were kind of out of date. So that was another little task that could be done way ahead of time. 
and then starting to promote on social media. That is, if you use Instagram or Facebook, you can start posting pictures of this is what I'm working on, this is a view of my studio as I'm getting organized, that kind of thing. If you have work, you know, will be you know on display in the tour, you can post that. Um, Do you have a budget for boosting posts uh, leading up to something like this? You know, i I've never um, I've never boosted the posts, or the few times that I had, I couldn't see any results. I have boosted like uh, when I was having an exhibit or something. It's really I don't know. Um, I'm not saying don't do it. It's probably a good idea. I just haven't. Um, But I guess especially if you don't have a big social media reach, that's probably a good idea. If you don't have a lot of people that are that are following you, um, so social media. If, if you're not involved with it, I mean, it's it is a good way to bring people in, and you know, no time like the present to start. <laughs> and um, there's plenty of info out there about how to get started, and and if you focus on your on your art business um, rather than personal stuff, if you're not comfortable with that, it's a it's a good tool. It really is. Um, so another thing that I did way ahead of time was just try to take stock of what what have I got on hand? What's my, if we want to speak in purely business terms, what's my inventory look like? <laughs> um, and actually, I thought this was kind of fun because I was pulling out a lot of stuff and kind of revisiting my past work. Um, and for myself, there's a little bit of a, I had a little bit of an argument in my head about some older work because my inclination is to say, oh, you know, that's really old. I don't want to bring it out again, whatever, um, kind of dismissive of it. And then, but I have to think, okay, uh, to someone coming into my studio, this is new. And it, you know, to them, they're not probably distinguishing this is something Rebecca did five years ago or something Rebecca did yesterday. <laughs> you know, it's it's there. And, and the other thing that I remind myself of is that when I did this older work and I did have it in galleries and so on, people were buying it and it was perfectly fine. And so, um, and actually this year there were, I think, four or five things that I debated a little bit about whether to put out because they were pretty old. And and I sold those things, even though I thought, I thought it was sort of, you know, like dead work. You know, I, I've had it out. I've had it at studio tours. Nobody bought it. And then the right person comes along who sees it and appreciates it. And and it's kind of an overall philosophy I have about selling things is that there is a person for everything that you do. <laughs> you, you may have to wait a while for them to come along, uh, but eventually they, they most often do. So, Well, and I think a lot of that has to do with just how much traffic you get as well for your event. Do you have some idea of how many people have visited you uh, this year compared to, to years past for your studio tour? It was about the same, I think. Um, it was a beautiful weekend. There were a lot of people out. Um, I didn't really keep track. At one time, there were 11 cars in the driveway. <laughs> um, at, at certain points, the studio was basically hard to walk through. There were so many people in there. Uh, there are times it was very quiet, I'm just guessing a couple hundred, but I don't really know, and I didn't keep track uh, that came. But it, it's about the same. And this, but this tour, the one that I'm on, is really well publicized, and it's the oldest continually running 
studio tour in New Mexico, and so it's well known. And there were people coming from Colorado, New Mex, or Southern New Mexico, um, Texas, you know, Oklahoma. And I think people make a weekend of it, and they, or maybe longer, and they visit Santa Fe or whatever. But it's it's part of a vacation plan for a lot of people to come here. So it's pretty ideal. This tour is pretty ideal, and I know that they aren't all like that. Uh, and I think you just have to maximize, you know, whatever you have in in your area. Um, yeah, I wonder if there's something that could be done to just to to be able to track, have some idea of of how much traffic you have compared to from one year to the next. I mean, maybe like there's something very low tech, you know, like a guest book, but obviously like a lot of people are not going to sign your guest book, but uh, maybe there's like a little like a technological <laughs> device. Yeah. Like a little laser beam that, you know, every time you yeah. pass the laser beam, it, it records. And obviously, you know, it's going to pe- record people coming in and out of the studio. And if they come in more than once, they're going to be counted more than once. But um, I, I would expect to have like a, a vague idea at least of, yeah, of uh, how one year compares to the next in terms of traffic. That is interesting. And and years ago when I worked in a gallery, there was a, a little clicker device. And when someone would come in, we were supposed to click it. Now, you don't always remember, but it was, uh, you know, it, it kept a tally. So that that's, I don't, we, I still have something like that. So that's a good thing. Maybe I'll do that next year. Um, and uh, I I would say that the guest book this year filled up more than in the past. It was like four pages of people and their emails. Some may be repeats, but it was gratifying. A lot of people did want to sign it. And so now I have the job of putting all those, <laughs> deciphering handwriting and put all those emails into my uh, newsletter program. <laughs> Well, and from a business standpoint, that may be actually more useful than just a raw tally of how many people are coming oh, yeah. because that's that that's you know how many new email addresses did I get? These are people who have um, expressed an interest right. in in <clears throat> your artwork, and right. that may be more useful than you know how how many people came through the door. You're right, and some people definitely uh, come in, glance around, and leave. Although I felt that there were fewer people that did that this year. And I understand that. I mean, if they're not interested, they have other places they'd rather be. That's fine. Um, But uh, I I felt like the people that came were more engaged than they had been in the past. So I think there's some subtle things that happen when you do it over time. And you, you are bringing people back that have been there before. And there's some understanding of what you do. So that, let's say, if somebody really doesn't like abstraction at all, they probably will just skip you. <laughs> and um, and our tour does some brief description. Uh, we put out a map, and people can see a little brief description of what the artists do, and um, and that's you know that's really helpful too. And and on this road where I live, you know, there's several studios, so people will come and go up the road and back, you know, and. <laughs> We actually were honored this year to have the porta potty outside of our house. <laughs> so who knows how many people that attracted? <laughs> anyway, but well, back- I derailed you from talking about inventory. So okay, yeah, back to inventory. Um, one of the things you look at when when you're uh, checking things out, what what do I have to put out this year? Are there some gaps that you really want to fill? Like, for example, for myself. Um, I realized I was pretty low with um, small things, with works on paper and so on. I had sold quite a few 
uh, over the summer and spring. And so I did some more of those and I um, did more of my mixed media works on paper, small ink and gouache things that I'd noticed people were attracted to. And um, so I did some work like that. And I also um, repainted some older work and kind of revised it and changed it. So I was pretty busy painting during that, uh, during October, the month ahead of our, our tour here, uh, creating new work, kind of um, spiffing things up, cleaning up edges on older paintings. They sit around, they get a little dusty, so I'd clean them up, things like that. Um, and the other thing to notice with your inventory is, do you have different price points? And that's important. I mean, you don't really know what people are prepared to pay. Um, some people will come with the idea they're going to get a sort of major piece and other people will, you know, want something that's a couple hundred dollars that they can, they can take. And so I try to have that range. And of course, my, my newest work that is my gallery work headed for the gallery or has recently been in the galleries that is a retail price. And so I made that clear when, when I had the, um, the uh, open studio that this this work over here is this is gallery work and this is gallery pricing some of this very small things some much older things were were less so you know that pricing thing is a good thing to kind of think about ahead of time as you go as you're uh kind of organizing things in your inventory um and so that's kind of let's see if i have anything else for that lead up time. I know there's a few other things. Um, so uh, consider if you're going to need any any help during a tour. And you might, if you think so, you might mention this to someone that you that would help you and give them some lead time month ahead or so. Um, and things they might help with might be just being there, just sitting with you, um, you know, giving you a break, chatting with people. It might be helping park cars if that's any issue. And a lot of people, it is an issue. They don't have much room for cars. And so they need somebody out there directing traffic. Uh, and that's what Don did, my husband. So, um, you know, just somebody to kind of support you, bring you food at lunchtime or something. And that's that's a good thing to, to think about ahead of time. And then also, if you're part of an organized tour, you're probably going to have some sort of assigned job that contributes to the tour as a whole. Um, my job this year was taking maps around to different artists so that everybody had some in their studio. And whoever's organizing the tour will tell you what you can do. And, and you know, I say do it wholeheartedly and <laughs> do your best. Uh, a studio tour like that is a community event, and so everybody has to do their part. Well, let's take a quick break and uh, talk about what deals are available from Blick. Right now, Utrecht Artists Imperfect Oil Paint Tubes and Cans are up to 67% off. These are the same high-quality Utrecht Artist Oils. Uh, they're just in, in cans or tubes that have uh, been dented. Um, so Blick is clearing out these imperfect tubes of Utrecht Artist Oil Paints. Uh, this is your chance to pick up these professional quality oil paints at incredible sales prices. Limited quantities are available while supplies last. All sales are final. 
Prized by professionals for their brilliant color, rich texture, outstanding light fastness, and excellent long-term performance, Utrecht has been handcrafting these fine artist oil colors in its Brooklyn, New York facility for over 50 years. Uh, high pigment concentrations guarantee superior tinting strength and remarkable vibrancy straight from the tube. So to take advantage of that offer and support the Messy Studio podcast, please remember to use our affiliate link, which is, of course, MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick, B-L-I-C-K. That takes you straight through to the regular Blick website, but when you use our affiliate link, Blick will donate a very generous 10% to the Messy Studio podcast, which makes an incredible difference to us. It, it means that we're able to continue hosting this content and keep it av- free and available for everyone. Uh, so once again, that uh, affiliate link is MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. All right, let's get back into the show. And, and I just want to mention, in addition to the paints that you were talking about, um, I happen to see that the Gamblin cold wax medium is on sale now, too. And that's, that's a good oh, thing wonderful. to know because it can be a little pricey. So, okay. So we were talking about... Uh, like that long-term uh, month, six six weeks ahead of time. So now I want to get in a little bit closer, let's say about two weeks before your tour starts. And if you have a messy studio, like <clears throat> some people I know, you can start cleaning up, organizing, you know, tackling anything that's just really horrendous uh, when you have a, a spare moment. And, and doing that a little at a time, I found really did help uh, me because if I leave actually cleaning till the end. It just becomes a real task. Um, Another thing that I did and I recommend doing is if your walls need to be painted, do that. And mine get very drippy and they, they actually look really cool in a way. You know, they have this patina of of paint on them, but it's distracting if you're trying to study a painting or thinking about buying a painting to have a really messy wall. So I I just whitewashed the walls with wall paint and I did that. And I also chose one wall to paint a different color. I painted it a dark gray and I did that to uh, kind of really make the space look a little more spiffy. And it really helped with some of my lighter colored paintings to put them on that wall. And it really made a nice effect. So consider not just whitewashing, but maybe adding a color to your walls if it works with your, with your stuff. Um, and then after that, after I did that, I started putting things on the wall, even if they weren't really ready, even if they weren't really finished or, you know, I knew they needed a wire or something, but seeing them on the wall really helped me, uh, start to organize and envision how things were going to look for the tour. And also what, what do I need to do? Like I would go through each wall and say, okay, this, this wall is done. What does this wall need? You know, and it was just an organizing tactic, I guess. Uh, another thing a couple weeks ahead, um, you know, start to think about what kind of food you're going to have and drinks. You don't have to do this, uh, on most tours. It's not, I don't think it's, um, obligatory, but it does help, (laughs) you know, people like to nosh a little bit and then have a, you know, have a cup of tea or something outside. We put up a tent outside and have the food and drinks out there and some chairs and we have a really nice view. So, People like to just congregate out there, and and I I just serve packaged food. I mean, I don't I don't make anything special. Um, I try to keep it really easy, and I find that people actually kind of go for things like Oreos. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny because 
uh, yeah, one one group of women, women all came in munching on Oreos, and we were joking about how you know we hadn't had Oreos in years and that kind of thing. It's okay to have some junk food, <laughs> I think, unless you're really strong about that. But I had some some just things I bought at the grocery store. I had some bottled uh, tea and lemonade, and I had a, a chest of ice. So. Thinking about that ahead of time lets you pick up things at the store if you see them on sale or you happen to notice something and think, oh, that would be good. So um, another thing, a couple weeks ahead, um, make sure that you have everything you need. And that might include a guest book if you don't have one yet. I like to use a receipt book as well. Even though people don't really want the paper receipts, it helps me to write down all the info on that receipt. And then later I can refer back to that because sometimes the uh, things like uh, Square or Venmo don't always give you the information that you want about the person who's buying like their email address or even their physical address. So um, I like to do that, have a receipt book. Um, And then as far as payment methods, you know, start thinking about that check, is your square working? Is everything okay with Venmo or however you're going to take money? And it is, it's good to have a a couple ways to do that. And um, square is really convenient and the best, although it does take a percentage of your sale. It's something like 2.6%, I think. But that's the way most people want to pay is with a credit card. And you know, I just ahead of time, I just made sure that um, the, the device itself was working and everything was set up okay. Um, yeah, especially for larger purchases, people are probably not walking around with that kind of cash on. Them. No. I mean, they might be, but most of the time, people are not going to have more than maybe a couple hundred dollars in cash right. on them. Right. So if you want to make those larger sales, you have to have a way of accepting that money. Right. And the first year, I, I wasn't even thinking about credit cards. And someone said to me, are you going to take credit cards? And I went, oh, yes, I probably should look into that. <laughs> and it, it makes a huge difference, I think, to be able to do that. And um, and it also, Square, if you use Square, I think that's probably the main one that people use. Uh, it keeps a really good record. It sends you a sales report and all that. So um, I find it really convenient. Um so um, anything else, like to a couple weeks ahead, I would say just keep up the social media, you know, a kind of not overwhelming and annoying, but a consistent reminder that you're preparing for a tour and, it, you know, engaging people with what you're going to be selling. And if you have people that you really want to be there and maybe they came the year before, maybe they bought something. A personal email is nice, and and you should have that info in your guest book from previous years and just send them a little email note saying, you know, hope to see you again or whatever. Um, That's nice to do. And again, giving them a couple weeks ahead of time notice. So then we get down to the week before, and the, you know, the tension is rising. (laughs) It's funny here in Dixon, there are so many people involved in the tour and everybody, when they see each other, they say, well, how's it going? You know, how are you doing? (laughs) Because everybody's kind of, you know, aware of that, that hovering deadline. Um, So that last week is when you really want to finalize your pricing, really get it firm in your mind, put the prices up uh, and, or attach them to the work. Um, finalizing your presentation. And I'd like to take 
you know, a few days to kind of, I don't know, try some different arrangements, um, evaluate how things are, how they are grouped. Um, this year I had all the paintings on panel in one area and all the works on paper in another. You want to make it welcoming. You want to make it so people don't feel like they're in the midst of chaos, although it's also nice to have a little bit of chaos. You know, people like the feeling of coming into a studio that's that's an operating studio, that there are things going on. So you don't want to overdo it in becoming super pristine, I don't think. Although, you know, sometimes that works. I was in one person's um, studio uh, that was on the tour this year, and it was gorgeous. It looked like a gallery. And there's nothing wrong with that either. It just depends on what you have to work with. And, and I, you know, I have stuff in my studio. So I let that be. I let little things sit around and materials and things like that. It's okay. Um, and then um, I one thing I've done the last two years, which is a big hit, is I have a table with the cold wax medium, a couple tubes of paint and the tools and some paper to paint on and, and so on. And when artists especially are really curious about cold wax medium I say oh hey you want to try it and people will you know some people will engage with that and and put some paint down and play with it a little bit and get really interested and if you have a medium like that that you know maybe people haven't heard of or anything that you could share with them let them play around with it a little bit um, it's really interesting I think for people and in my case, uh, I know that it led to people asking about uh, workshops, which I don't do a whole lot of anymore, but I could point them to our, you know, to Cold Wax Academy, to our book, and so on, or to Jerry's intro classes. And, you know, it was kind of like an extension into the the teaching part that I do when people were playing with the material. So, if there's anything like that, you can do, or actually demo, although you probably won't have time. <laughs> I, I think some artists do try to, you know, potters might actually throw a pot or something in their studio, but, you know, I'm not sure. When you have a lot of people in, that's pretty hard to keep that going, I would think. Um, the other thing I did ahead of time was to check my materials for uh, when people buy things like how am I going to wrap it up? How am I going to protect the work? And making sure I had that that stuff on hand and setting up a table with that stuff. And then making a few signs to put around with my Venmo information, Instagram account, things like that. Any information that you want to post about your materials or anything, you can make up some nice little signs on the computer. And then we get to the day before and you've got your last minute stuff, your cleaning. Um, putting up any signs you want for parking, um, your tour number if you have one, and any food prep you can do ahead of time um, to get things ready to serve the food, and putting just putting things out, getting all set for, for what's going to happen the next day. And if at all possible, do something a little relaxing the day before because it's going to be a pretty intense couple of days when the tour is going. And even if it's just taking a long walk or something, um, I find that, you know, it, there's something about just pacing yourself, keeping your energy up um, and, you know, trying to have a little downtime before it starts. So 
the last thing I want to talk about mainly is what happens like during the tour. And this can be a challenge for people who are not particularly, oh, I don't know, socially at ease or maybe uh, introverts who are just simply drained by being around a lot of people, a lot of interaction. It's exhausting. I, I find it very tiring. But you know, just thinking, well, okay, this is just two days out of my life. I can do it. <laughs> and there's so many good things that happen too. But I just I just think that um, acknowledging that this is a draining thing is okay. And, and to try to pace yourself, take breaks when you can. So as people come in to your studio, you know, as much as possible, I like to just say hello to everybody. And if it gets crowded, that doesn't happen. But Trying to greet people, say little small talk, you know, oh, where are you folks from, that kind of thing. Um, but after that point, I like to sort of leave them alone. I, I say, well, if you have any questions, let me know. I personally am not much of a salesperson of my own work, at least. So um, I prefer to let people be. Although if I really notice people really looking, you know, I'll go and, and hover about a little bit in the background and, and see if there's anything they want to talk about Um but not, you know, not pushy, and I think most artists are the same, and that's okay. I mean, I, I think if people see something they want, that's what they need to do. They just need to look at it and, and think about it. Um, so in terms of conversation, and I know I've said this when we talked about art openings, try not to let someone monopolize you, talk to you exclusively. There will be people who... And, and, you know, I understand if people have come there to meet you or they're really interested, it's fine. But there's a point where you have to say, well, you know, excuse me, I need to walk around a little bit. It, it, can, be, uh, it can be hurt other people if you're not uh, available like that. Um, so I think one of the things I find challenging is that many, many times I am saying the same thing. You know, or some variation of the same thing over and over to there's certain things people will say and bring up to you. Uh, people ask me about cold wax medium. And, and so I do have a little display about it, but I, I will say a few things, you know, over and over. And you have to you have to always just be, oh, like this is the first person that ever asked you this, you know. <laughs> oh, okay, let me tell you about that, you know. Um and and whatever your situation is, there'll be things that, you know, you sort of, okay, prepare yourself for explaining things many times. <laughs> um, let's see, what else? I try to take a few photos for social media again to say, maybe at the end of the first day, post something, a picture of the people in your studio and say, oh, it's, you know, it's been a busy day or something like that. Um, remember to support the other people that are on the studio tour, on the event. Never hold back from recommending, you know, another person's studio. Um, if someone tells you that they want to see more paintings, and this happened to me, who else is selling paintings? And I say, oh, okay, let's look at the map. You want to go here, 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 and here. Um, and I know people did that for me as well. And it's just, you have to really think that, the, remember, this is, you know, if there if you didn't have an art community, you're not going to have an, a studio tour. So you support each other, and it's it's a nice feeling actually. So, um, when somebody is buying something, when you're making that sale, there's some things to remember. 
The biggest thing to me is to try to slow down and take my time, even if it feels busy, even if there's somebody waiting. Um, I make mistakes when I'm rushed or flustered in any way. Um, for example, I accepted a check that wasn't made out correctly, um, and I didn't really read it, which caused some problem later. I got it worked out. But really attend to details, even if you're feeling like a little pressured, um, and making a record of what you sold and uh, the person that you sold it to with some kind of brief description of it, uh, trying to get contact info from who purchased it. This is important because if there is any problem with the sale, you'll be able to get back to them about it. Um, I always try to let people know that I'm charging tax in New Mexico. It's gross receipts tax. And so it's going to be a higher price than what they see. And everybody's totally fine with that. I mean, that's so expected. Um, and I have options for how, you know, they want me to wrap it or how they're going to take it away. And obviously say thanks, you know, be be gracious, be thankful. And sometimes I say, oh, where do you plan to put this in your home? And that's a nice kind of way to get people thinking about um, what they're going to do with it. And maybe they'll send you a photo, which is really great. But I think a really important thing about the whole event is to remember it's not just about selling stuff. Um, if you think of it that way and it's a bit slow, it can be discouraging. You know, you can think, why am I doing this? But I personally, I want to appreciate that people just come there and um, and and want to talk and engage and all that. And and many people go on studio tours just to do that, just to walk around, see what people are doing. They're not really buying, and that's okay. And I think that's probably the biggest thing mentally, emotionally, to get through the, the weekend is not to count on that too much. Um, and there's, you know, some really good interactions and things. So um, this is the benefit of direct sales is that you're connecting with people whether you're actually selling, but this direct contact, you know, that's something you don't get a lot of um, when you work with galleries and so on. Um, and then just quickly after the tour, just, you know, well, try to relax a bit, Up, uh, update your financial records while you're, while it's still fresh in your mind. Um, cash any checks promptly. Don't make people wait for you to clear their check. And, um, you know, any thanks or gratitude that you want to express to people directly or on social media is is great. So that's a lot. <laughs> well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? <laughs> I probably have given way too many thoughts, but I, I'm hoping that, you know, this is a long list, but I hopefully it's helpful. And taking things in small steps really helps the whole thing be easier, more enjoyable. Um, and I think also just getting ready is kind of a pause in your ordinary momentum in the studio. It is a pause, which can feel a little distressing. Like maybe you're not doing enough new work or something, but it's kind of an evaluation of where you're at and you look at what you have in the studio and um, it's kind of a, a taking stock sort of pause. And that can actually generate some new ideas that did for me to look at what I had and maybe connect with some older work, think about what was going on in that work. Um, and I, so, you know, trying to be accepting of the, of the time that it takes, I guess is what I'm saying. And, 
and also to remember that the tour itself is two or three days, but whatever happens there might have effects that you aren't aware of in the moment. Um, you're obviously aware of sales, but there are other connections that can happen. And even if it's only someone coming back again next year, more prepared to buy, but other things as well, social contacts or opportunities that may come along. Yeah, I think that there's a, a kind of a rule of thumb in sales that uh, usually somebody needs like three interactions before they buy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, usually the first time that somebody sees your work there, if they do buy something, it's going to be a small piece. Um, but uh, usually if somebody's going to make a large purchase with you, it's not going to be their first time seeing your work. Yeah, I agree. And and some of the people that were buying bigger things were were there because they knew my work already. And that was helpful. Whether they knew it from online, whether they knew it from seeing it in a gallery, whatever it was, they you know, they were they were there to buy something from the tour. Other people, you know, maybe there are some sort of impulse buys of smaller things, like you said. And that's why it is good to have some smaller things as well. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please go to MessyStudioPodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as Rebecca's public profile page. For more from Rebecca Kroll, check out RebeccaKroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at ColdWaxAcademy.com. Be sure to sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. For more from myself, Ross Tickner, check out rostickner.com. The Messy Studio is a Tick Digital Media production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again with more art and entertainment. Until then, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.